sick for like a week now and I'm dying. Literally? Well, you know, I suffer from mortality like everybody. Okay, yeah, but I mean, you're not dying in any way that's different from how you're normally dying on a day-to-day -day basis. No, I probably just got COVID. That sucks. Yeah, it does suck. Hopefully it's not long COVID. Dude, it feels long as frick, man. I had all these body aches over the weekend and then like my head is killing me and my throat is killing me. I might I might run out of steam, so we should definitely do Monroe and the thing. We just do the things and then be done. I love you, thank you. All right, well, let's get started because it's Potter Zeebe, the comic book nerd cast that dares to ask, what, me worry? I'm your idiot, Kyle Bridget, and with me, your co-idiot, no, no, it's just like for real this time. What? Like, just be, could you just like drop the shtick and just like be for real for once? Let me just be idiot. I know you struggle with sincerity. All right, fine. Let's just do it. We're trying to get through this quick tonight. So let's just take it from the top. It's Potter Zeebe, the comic book nerd cast that dares to ask, what? Me worry? I'm your <laughs> idiot, Kyle Bridget, and with me? You're Co. idiot. Patty McInerney. Hey, you're in a good mood God. now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're lucky you're sick. Let's move along. We have to do uh, tasteful news. Welcome now to the tasteful news department. You know what? This is going to be news to you, too, because I meant to talk about this with you at the <laughs> beginning of the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we'll just say it. We can uh, edit it out if you object to any of this. So we're rounding the end of Potter ZB season one. This is episode 23. The next episode is 24. And that'll be a full year of bi-weekly Potter ZB or semi-weekly, however you measure it. I like to say semi-weekly. Semi. Wouldn't it be 26 because 52 weeks in the year? Yeah, I think more 12 months. <laughs> <laughs> two, two episodes a month. <laughs> I, I think 24 is enough. You you brought? <laughs> 24 is enough. It's 24 this season. That's what we're okay. saying. Also, we're rounding the actual year. So it's like this one's going to come out sort of beginning of March. The next one will be out at the end of sort of mid end of March. And we started at the beginning of April last year. So, Dude, that's crazy. So we'll have more details on this next episode. But after that episode, I want to take a short hiatus, you know? Yeah. About a month. But then we're going to do a live super special episode on the Potter ZB YouTube channel. And we'll release the audio from that uncut as an episode. Oh, that's going to be cool. So basically what will happen is we'll have the next episode. We'll skip the following episode. Uh, and then when the next scheduled episode comes around two weeks after that, you'll get the super special, which you can either watch live on the YouTube or whatever you call it, the replay on YouTube. And then two weeks after that, we'll be back with season two. That's cool. I like that. I love that idea. Yeah. And I want to do more super specials. I want to get have the YouTube be a little more active. So mm -hmm. I know way back on like episode six or something, we said we're going to stop having the episodes on the YouTube. Yeah. But I think I am going to start uploading them to the YouTube, but not enhanced, not with any of the extra video stuff. It'll just be like a static image um, that doesn't change. And just the audio will be there just because I feel like we're just leaving listeners on the table. I've had a few people I've tried to convince to listen and they say, ah, but I only listen on YouTube. And it's like, yeah. ah, <laughs> so we're going to do that. But I want to do more super special live shows. So maybe every like fifth show or something will be uh will be a live stream and that'll save me some work because i won't have to edit those well i think that's a great idea i absolutely love doing live streams so 
you know what? I just heard myself end a sentence with so, and it fucking bothered me so much. I know. I'm sitting here waiting. Are you going to continue this sentence uh, or what's going on? Dude, that was just pointed out to me like very recently. And it's just been driving me nuts. Every time I say it, I hear it. And I'm like, uh, add something quickly. But no, I want to really to get into what's wrong with the way that you speak. Start editing a podcast because like, <laughs> there's so many things that I just say all the time or just as a matter of fact, just to fill space, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm always cutting it out of there because it just, it eats up time and it just slows down the rhythm of the conversation. There's so much wasted air between there. So um, the next episode is our season finale. It's going to be our first patron episode. I was going to do that one this week, but I had a busy couple of weeks. I sliced my hand open with an X-Acto blade and had to spend a night in the ER. We've had a couple snow days, a holiday, plus my birthday. And these are all things that require time with the family away from my computer. <laughs> and so we're going to do that for the finale. But we got a good topic, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, this topic is going to, uh, I mean, it pleased me. And I think it's going to please a lot of the listeners. That's good. And if you want to submit a topic, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash PotterZB. I think that's how those, those URLs See that work. PotterZB podcast? I think it's just PotterZB. Anyway, the All link's right. in the show description. Uh, and we have one level, the $2 idiot tier. And basically, you're going to get extra content that gets cut out of the regular content. And not just our poor speech habits, but like actual things that we talk about that are just sort of cut for time. Yeah. And uh, you can submit a topic and we'll take from the patrons every couple months. We're going to take a patron episode. So our first one is next week. And so you want to join our Patreon so you can be the next person submitting a topic. And that's all the news in the buff. And there's one big advantage if the music is hot. It's the fast-moving exit just in case something rips. So the band plays the polka while she's stripped. Drop around, take it in. It's the best in the West. Take it off, take it off, take it off, take it off. Yeah, like the rest. Take her out when it's over. She's a peach when she's dressed. But she stops. Now let's head out to the That's All She Mon Wrote department. That's right. I didn't really take much notes on this one. Kyle, let me just say, you know what my problem is? Is that we have not done this department in so long. We've skipped it for like the past three episodes. Are you aware of this? Yeah, and the last one we did was actually the Christmas episode. We jumped ahead a couple years for that one. So this one actually looks really weird coming back to it. The artwork's so clean and crisp and sort of labored compared to the way that it looks later on just yeah. a couple years from now like right now it's very clean it's like some it's like an old tom and jerry cartoon or something whereas like later it's more beavis and butthead you know what i mean like it's a yeah. little looser a little messier yeah he spends a lot of time putting in a lot of little details but we can get into that in a moment because we didn't even tell the title of this one monroe and the school clothes yeah and this one kind of feels like a bit of a filler to me we won't say yeah. what happens in the next episode but the next installment of this is like a turning point in the story and even in the art i think i did kind of peek ahead and so this one kind of feels like it's just like a placeholder almost and it kind of retreads um like monroe and the beach monroe and the carnival yeah the county fair county um, fair that yeah and uh even like the first one, Monroe and the Curse, even a little bit, a little bit, not quite the same, but similar, 
really yeah. the only one that stands out in this whole sort of season of Monroe, if we call it that, has been was it Monroe and Mother Nature? That's where he was. He sees his parents doing it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, where we get the first appearance of his grandfather. Yeah, yeah, and that particular one revealed something about the characters. It felt a little different, whereas all the other ones is just like, you know, it's shtick. It's like Monroe's mom embarrasses him in public somehow. Yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. It's like the formula is Monroe has to go into public. Monroe is embarrassed. Then Monroe is humiliated. The end. Yeah, and often it's not even like a definitive the end. It's just like, all right, there'll probably be more humiliation later. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it never seems to really reach even a crescendo in most of them. But uh, yeah, so this is Monroe and the school clothes. Do you want to read the uh, introduction there? Once again, it's time to join your newest, bestest buddy Monroe on another painful, torture-filled journey. Yeah, that first panel is like exactly what you were talking about before, about how labored the artwork is, like how how much attention to detail is put into this. His mother. Well, we'll get. Outfit. We'll come back to this panel too. I think. Oh, what? Because because this oh. is like where all the chicken fat is, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you were going really on about stuff. about her outfit there. Yeah, I was getting. <laughs> you know what? You you were wise to interrupt because. Yeah, she's in like a negligee. It's like transparent. You can Ooh, see her underwear oh. through it. Um, there's I some got, nice shading I got to on log there. Off for a second. Um, <laughs> You know, she's got like kind of a messy hairdo too. I like also the bags under her eyes. She's like coming in. You kind of get the feeling like she's been drinking all night. Now she wants to do something, right? And she's like, okay, I yeah. know. I'll take Monroe to the mall. He needs some new clothes. And she's waking up Monroe. The main reason I was trying to stop you is because all the chicken fat is in this panel. Although I was talking about attention to detail, it's attention to detail, but not in a chicken fat way through, for most of this. I was going to point out is that like, the bed sheets, the bedspread, chicken fat aside, there's just so much rendering going on, even on that bedspread. And it carries mm. on into panels later on. And it really highlights like how good Bill Ray is at drawing. Like he's so good that like he doesn't need to exercise this much skill later on. But here yeah. it's like all, like the fold dynamics in the in the fabric are really nice. All the shading is really nice. The lighting is good, both as a like a feature of the space, like the natural lighting, but also his use of lighting to, to direct your eye and like affect emotion. Yeah. He's just like really talented. Yeah. It's how do people learn how to draw folds? Practice. Practice. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. I'll get to practicing. So they're going to the mall. Monroe does not want to go, but uh, they're going, The mom, they're at the mall. The mom's saying, let's start with some dungarees. You like those, right? That is such an old person phrase, too. <laughs> is that just jeans? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, as far as I know, yeah, it's jeans. But, like, old people would always call them dungarees. I got my dungarees on. It's like I've a work heard. pant. I'm not sure I've actually heard anybody use that. <laughs> oh, constantly. I've heard oh, really? It. Yeah. Well, I'm not go. even joking. Yeah. Well, maybe it's more of an American thing. So they go in, they go into this like Mexican themed, I don't know, outlet store. I think the implication is that like they're cheap Mexican knockoffs. All right. Because, yeah, I didn't totally understand because they have things like that allude to like Levi's. And it says 502 on the pockets of all these jeans. And it says designer jeans. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like in the back of a car, too. They're like in the trunk of a car of a Dodge. <laughs> 
so I don't know. Maybe there was like a uh, like bootleg Mexican jeans flooding the market <laughs> at the time. I don't know. Yeah, I was a little surprised by the the Mexican imagery. It just seemed so out of place. I didn't understand it. Yeah, I think that might be a specific time and place sort of thing. And she says, $35? I think we'll stick with the plain pockets. Excuse me, miss. Where do we find them in extra short length? And he's talking to this, like, scary, giant Mexican woman <laughs> in, like, a huge sombrero. She looks like she's, uh, like, out of a woman's prison or something. Yeah. The next panel, they find... Uh... The Geraldo Rivera's uh, signature jean, his crazy 80s disco acid washed jeans for just a fraction of the price. Which nowadays I think are probably people like people like those sort of mom jeans or whatever. But I think in the 90s, acid wash jeans were like the peak of your parents, you know, the height of their fashion, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they got Geraldo, though. And, like, I don't know if you know this, but Geraldo's kind of the man, dude. We're here, Geraldo. You're live on the show. Larry, this brave reporter has spent days investigating and researching, and I have come up with a shocking discovery that is going to rock the balls and ass of the literary world. Stephen McTowley, author of A Million Little Fibers, is a towel. You're a towel. No, you're a towel. Well, you're a beaner towel. What did you say? He's kind of a scumbag, too, I think. Um, but, I man, think. he's got a thick neck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is a very interesting caricature. It's clearly Geraldo. I would recognize him as Geraldo. It's like a very cracked caricature, though. Yeah. It's dirtier than a caricature you would see in Madden. It's not trying to do a Mort Drucker caricature. <laughs> oh, certainly not. No. It's more like a Walter Brogan kind of caricature. <laughs> There's a clearance. Uh, she says, we'll get them really long and let the hem down as you get taller. That way they'll last for a few years. Then they're in the food court. They've got the stuffed potato. And Monroe's mom says, you haven't touched your stuffed potato since we sat. Mom, you're always trying to give me potatoes. What is it with you? I just think they're neat. Say, don't you go to school with those girls? Yoo-hoo! Hi, girls. Say hello, honey. I love it. I mean, I okay, I love it, but also, as you mentioned before, that exact gag has been used at least twice at the county fair and at the beach. And better. Probably its peak was at the beach. Yes. But then also this same basic joke was in The Curse as well, where it's like the girls encounter him being embarrassed, even though his mom's not actually there. He's there on behalf of his mom. So it's like almost every one this has happened. And Monroe's like, can we just go, please? And then it cuts to her. She's telling a story to the girls. Oh, so I said to myself, now why in heaven's name would he want basketball shoes? The last time he played, he fell down on his bottom and oh, did he cry. Remember Monroe? Then she says, I think we're all set. Now all you need is a new haircut. But you do kind of wonder if, like, there maybe could have been, like, two more pages to this originally that got cut. Dude, I turned the page. I saw a Tom Bunk cartoon. And I was like, oh, the pages got stuck together. It's like, <laughs> huh? No. It, 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 it's so sudden. Of course, there must have been more to it. Maybe. I mean, this is the problem with these, especially these early Monroes that we've read, so many of them, is that you could just stop anywhere. Yeah. And it's not like any of them have much more final endings like i think the county fair had a pretty good ending because like his mom was going into the the tunnel of love with uh 
Gino or whatever from the <laughs> Guido. Is <laughs> that thing? Whatever that guy. Um, and so that was kind of like a big finish, but you know, the beach, it's like, you would think it would end with him like naked. That was a high point. And that just kind of keeps going. And he's like, it's embarrassed in a lesser way. Yeah. Yeah. By like a tuna sandwich or something. Anyway, I, I would have still loved this at the time, but it does really feel like a placeholder and it also feels incomplete. And, you know, if you were reading this, you'd be basically expecting it to not continue at any given time. You'd expect them to just drop Monroe eventually and be like, well, that was an interesting concept to have a new character based thing but yeah it wasn't that good you know yeah um but i think it turns around in the next episode Ooh, and i'm excited for that me too it's pretty cool that like they they did change it into something that was more of a ongoing story that built on itself like a like created a little universe yeah even if it wasn't like really episodic there was continual character development and expanding of the universe Sort of in the way The Simpsons does, you know, like just adding new characters constantly and just making it a more interesting world that you want to kind of spend time in. Yeah. So not a whole lot for chicken fat in this um, other oh, than shit. the stuffed potato logo. <laughs> well, you don't even need to get it out because it's almost all in the first panel. I have it um, zoomed in right here. I'm going to put it up on the screen here for you. All right. Too late. Now, I caught most of it, I think. Of course, there is uh, the prawn spawn knockoff uh prawn which that would have been big at the time and it would have been as a kid reading this i mean i would have been oh we forgot to say when this was from um 1997 1997 this is out issue 360 i think yeah 1997 i would have been you know 14 i would have felt really seen for there to be a, a spawn imagery even though i wasn't really reading spawn i was aware of it I was pretty interested in the cartoon show. I'm not sure if that came out yet. I don't know. I don't know like how quickly Spawn took over the teenage boy world. Well, you know what? It's started really with the toys, I think. Like, I mean, there was comics before, but I think the toys really is where it exploded because they were the first action figures that looked cool. Yeah. You know? I mean, vintage action figures look cool. Like, I like the old Star Wars action figures and, like, the old He-Man action figures and stuff. There's something kitschy and fun about them. But those first Spawn action figures, they were, like, seriously cool. You know, they felt adult. I mean, it was, like, the most detailed action figures I had ever seen. It's like, no yeah. wonder McFarlane was able to create an empire out of it, you know? Yeah, he basically ruined toys for, like, all future generations by making it a thing for adults to collect. <laughs> you know before that adults were collecting like tin robots from the 50s or something no they were collecting um, all the star wars ones and i don't think this collecting was that big because i would just encounter those at a garage sale like you find like a a bucket of them for like 10 cents you know? oh really no one wanted that shit same as like video games like old video games didn't really take off until oh, yeah youtube really made them popular with like yeah. the angry video game nerd and stuff. And I think I think action figures were like that until Spawn came along and then people really got into them because shortly after the Spawn figures, they started making figures of like everything, right? The first McFarlane action figure that I bought was Canada. Good day. Or Canada from Akira because he got the contract to do all of those action figures, including the motorcycle. And they were beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I remember when Christmas 
my family gave me a bunch of like the horror ones. They gave me like a Freddy Krueger and a Jason and a Leatherface yeah. and stuff. They were pretty cool. I think I had like the Beatles Yellow Submarine ones. Those were probably the same. If they weren't Todd McFarlane, they were like the same sort of thing of like prestige action figures. Yeah. I think he really did set it in motion. The sort of modern shitty action figure climate that exists. Who's the Joe guy? I didn't understand that. It's not Joe Camel. I know that. Looks like Snoop Dogg or something. I don't know my like 90s hip hop or whatever that's supposed to be. There's a little pogo action figure or like stuffed animal. That's not pogo. That's a bone. Bone. Um, okay, sorry. And I was trying to find out if he was associated with bone, but I didn't find any reference to it anywhere. Maybe he's just buddies with him. Yeah, maybe. And I mean, then there's there's also like a little tiny like tip of a wren or sorry, of a stippy yeah. head at the very bottom there. Yeah. Those continue to appear over and over again, right? Because Bill Ray is associated with uh, Ren and Stimpy. Various band things like in concert, ACDC, the Metallica. Do those count as chicken fat? Do words count as chicken fat? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's more when they're like jokes than just references, but. Yeah. Well, then there is in, in the second half, though, there is another one, which is their shopping bag. TJ Bob's TJ Maxx in the oh, United yeah, States. Yeah, I didn't clue into that. Yeah. Anyway, probably the worst one so far. <laughs> I give it one Monroe. <laughs> well, I'm not going to rate it in that sort of way, but I am looking forward to the next episode and seeing. I think there's going to be a big turn. Anyway, let's move along. Dungaree doll, dungaree doll, promise me you never will fall. For any other guy, tell me you were my dungaree dungaree, D-U-N-G-A-R-E-E. Hello and welcome to the Legionnaire's Department. That's right. Today we're talking about the Sheik of Araby. No, not the Tin Pan Alley hit from the 1920s that was popular with jazz bands into the 40s. This is uh, Fats Waller playing. I'm the Sheik of Araby. I love that song. Yeah, it's a good tune. There's lots of versions, lots of just instrumental versions. Uh, Django Reinhardt plays it. I think it was popular with like folk players too. A real hit. Anyway, and also not Ed Fairhat, the original Sheik of Araby, the influential Catches Catch Can pro wrestler who was active from 1947 to 1995. From Arabia, weighing 220 pounds, the Sheik of Araby. The Sheik has arrived with a selected member of his harem. She's in the process of spraying her master with a delightful fragrance known as a night in a Parisian market or old sweat socks. Not to be confused with the Iron Sheik, who came later. I mean, I'm going to fuck him up differently. That him, beat the fuck out of him, and, and him suplex him, put him in the camel clutch, break his back, and fuck his ass, and make him humble. Not to be confused with Sheik Your Booty, which was a Frank Zappa album or song. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, that's right. We're talking about The Sheik of Araby, the satirical comic from February and March of 1953, issue of Tales Calculated to Drive You Mad, Humor in a Jugular Vein. That's issue number three. And it's written by Harvey Kurtzman and illustrated by John Severin. John Severin, a very unfunny cartoonist. I take umbrage with that, sir. I like John Severin. I think he's the least funny of the original Mad Crew, but uh, I think he's got a lot going for him. Um, so he's he's only got 10 artist credits in Mad, and that's one more than me, according to Cracked Cover Site, <laughs> uh, if anyone's counting. And this is one of them. Uh, incidentally, you can actually read this entire issue on Doug Guilford's Cracked Cover Site. You may remember that he had uploaded like 500 issues to archive.org and you could actually read them all on his site and then just over the christmas holidays they got taken down for some mysterious reason anyway the first 20 issues you can actually read on his site they're not hosted at the archive they're hosted on his site or somewhere else but you can read them on there oh that's cool or if you're if you own a copy of mad number three you can read it in there or one of the many reprints i'm reading it in the dc mad archives it's called the Mad yeah. Archives, uh, but this is the one that was put out by DC Comics in, I think, the 2000s. You've got that that older version that everyone loves. Yeah, I have the Russ Cochran Mad collection. Is it color or black and white? It is color. People yeah. want the black and white one for some reason. I think the color is better. Did Russ Cochran make a black and white one? Yeah, there's a black and white version, and that's like the more coveted version. Oh, man, I didn't know that. Yeah, now you don't like yours as much. <laughs> I'd rather have the color. I much prefer this because I have a black and white version of another of the EC box set and I want it in color. That's what I want. I think artists and like art connoisseurs, they like the black and white because you can really see the line work. You can, it's like really yeah. clear and the color kind of obscures some of that. Um, and also it's never quite recaptures the original color, even though I think they do like as good a job as you can do without just doing color scans of the original comics. Yeah. This is about as good as you can do for coloring at this point. It's on like matte paper. The colors are like no nonsense trying to replicate what was there. Um, it is a slightly different experience than reading it for real. I think I've read like scans of the comic and I've read this. Um, and I've also read black and white ones. That's the other reason I think people like the black and white ones, because the Mad Reader paperbacks, like the Ballantine Mad Reader paperback, that was really popular. And so people actually, I think a lot of older people who would read this grew up reading those. Oh. And those are in black and white. Yeah, I would never have thought of that. Yeah. So I think that is a big factor, too. I think it's nostalgia for older people and then snobbery for younger people. <laughs> Um, hey, the Sheik of Araby, was this based on a property? Yes. Can, okay. Yes, it was. It's a parody of various French Foreign Legion films, mainly Beau Jest. Okay. Spelt B-E-A-U-G-E-S-T-E. -E. Could be Beau Guest. I think it's probably pronounced Beau Guest in America, but I did look up the pronunciation. It was closer to Jest. Uh, and that's from 1939, starring Gary Cooper and Susan Hayward. I think there's like three best actor Oscars between them which is the definitive French Foreign Legion film, and it's based on a popular novel from 1924. And there's earlier versions of this and later versions of this, but that 39 one, that seems to be the most cited one. But there's a ton of them. IMDb lists 68 feature films with the keyword French Foreign Legion. And for yeah. most of them, it's a central theme. Like you just go down, it's like desert, 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 
basically re recreating this same story. And Wikipedia under list of films featuring the French Foreign Legion lists at least nine that have Bo in the title, either just Bo Ooh. Jest or Bo something or other. Yeah. And I mostly think of uh, Porky Pig when I think of French Foreign Legion films. That's crazy. R well, I'm sorry? That's crazy. I, <laughs> well, I'll tell you why. Because there's two Porky Pig cartoons, one from 36, and that is Little Bo Porky. Who, who's, who's, who's there? I'm a poor little sheik with no place to sleep. Won't you please let me in? Uh-oh. It's, it's Alan Capone. Not me him. No. Not me him, I say. Pop him up the door, please. No. Let me in. No, 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 a, a thousand, a thousand times. No. King Bray out my easy art game. Make me happy, space. Let me out there your day. <laughs> I mean, to ensure to include some of the racism. <laughs> and then one from 1940, and that's Alibaba Bound. She's the girlfriend of the whirling dervish. She's the sweetest one he's found. But every night in the middle of moonlight, when he's out dervishing with all his might, she gives him the run around. All the boyfriends of the whirling dervish are his best friends to his face. <laughs> so it's Alibaba Bound. That one, I think they were both colorized at some point. Um, yeah. But that one was in the public domain, at least for a while. And so, like, I saw it on, like, one of those gas station tapes when I was a little kid. All um, right. But I've seen that, like, quite a few times, that one. And uh, I also have one more thing for you here. <laughs> Can you watch a lot of stuff? This is your homework that you should have done before you got here. Here's a trailer for uh, Bo Jess. Give it up, you scum kid, Judy! Say you like it, they're breaking! You'll get a chance to get to the tie with your boots on! Here and die like rats in a trap, do you? No! <laughs> Explains a lot, eh? <laughs> yeah. Dude, I mean, like, the French Foreign Legion is rad. Everybody loves it. Who hasn't had fantasies as a young man of running away and joining the French Foreign Legion, traveling to not. <laughs> Algiers and fighting some north africans yeah being cannon fodder for some sort of colonial project so as to <laughs> shield the the racially pure frenchman <laughs> um, frenchmen join the french foreign legion too you know here's what i know about the french foreign legion they started in the late 19th century they were like a way to funnel foreign nationals into the french army basically to be like how they could recruit them and yeah. sort of like with the promise of a citizenship after five years or if you get injured or basically because you're a piece of shit and you need you're running from somewhere and they're not going to ask any questions. They're that kind of army. <laughs> Those two things, I mean, like it, it does make sense why it became this sort of like romantic thing in the world's cult. I'm not the world because I'm I'm sure a lot of people in the Middle East and Africa don't look at the Legion romantically. But for a lot of people, it was this sort of like fantastical organization where you could start again, you could start anew. 
and um, also be like a badass. Or you could have power, like maybe you could have status or something. You could be someone. You yeah. Know? And I think that probably appeals to people too. I bet you a lot of people go there because they they couldn't get into their local military for because they were psychos. Oh. Or something. No, like, it's no, a- you're too scary. <laughs> it's actually it's quite difficult to get into into the French Foreign Legion. Oh really? I thought it was easy to get in, but just like mostly people just die out. It's uh, like- no, it's like physically rigorous test and also like uh, mentally rigorous. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's like a weird fuck up situation where it's it's like going to prison or something (laughs) currently there's a a former at least one former u.s navy seal who is a legionnaire that's cool does he have the hat yeah yeah he does (laughs) that's cool the hat's cool i like their uniform i I don't know it's probably not like that now it's probably some kind of stupid camo no no their dress uniform is like that they wear the white hat and everything just like in this comic they have the traditional dress uniform well good on them (laughs) So the reason we we're doing this is because you have a lot of thoughts on the French Foreign Legion, and I don't think Mad has done a Charlie Chan parody yet. So it was one of the <laughs> two. Because <laughs> you're like Z Charlie Chan man of <laughs> the French Foreign Legion or whatever. Is there a Charlie Chan in the French Foreign Legion film? I wonder. <laughs> Laurel and Hardy and Abbott and Costello were in there. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know if Charlie Chan. I mean, he probably didn't join it, but maybe he like had to solve a murder that occurred in a French colony, like Algiers or something. Yeah, yeah. I think it's probably implied that like in the 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 larger world of Charlie Chan, he's probably interacted with the French Foreign Legion at some point. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I love Tales Calculated to drive you mad. It's so good. I think it's like the best comic series and most like important comic series, certainly of the golden age is like a run of comics at 23 issues of mad. Everyone's a banger. Everyone is so new and innovative. I can't think of anything that compares. It'd be like Watchmen or something that you would compare it to in terms of how good it is. Yeah. Every moment of like looking at it, I just love it. I, uh, did you look at the cover of this one? I think, no, like very briefly. What was it? Um, it's this. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so as long as we had it, I want to show you this uh, other thing. So Crumb, him and his brother, when they were kids, here, I've actually got a facsimile of it here. They, uh, they were obsessed with Mad, right? Which was contemporary to them. And when they were 15, 16, they did this zine. This is like a remake of it, but you can see it's like clearly very inspired by Mad. But this one is like especially inspired by this particular issue. This is something actually made for my show here. And so you can see it's like they've got the joke off the cover, basically. But then it's like they've they've taken the art from inside the issue. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to bring that to your attention. I thought you might think that was neat. That these is are really fun. Neat. Like, these are fun because, like, they're 15 or 16, but they're, like, very talented. <laughs> yeah. And, like, they're they're totally immersed in this stuff. And it's an interesting perspective on MAD. To see like what artistic kids who were the right age to read mad when it was coming out originally like how it influenced them in their art very interesting to me anyway yeah all right so sheik of araby do you want to read the intro french foreign legion department we are entering the fort of the wadi el akar sitting sun-baked and solitary in the shifting sands of the sahara the waterless sahara that hides the sun-bleached bones of men, that hides the terrifying outlaw band of the Sheik of Araby. Yeah, 
so we get this big opening panel there's this the fort wall and outside you can see a trail of footprints winding and curling all over the desert into the horizon there's like just stragglers who died along the way yeah. um and they're coming back in you gotta love this eh? oh yes yeah it's sort of the uh the infinity cover that i love so much this one though the page of the issue being within the page of the issue the commandant i suppose is reading this comic just as we are. So incidentally, this comic, all seven pages of the of this comic sold on Heritage Auction in 2019 for about twenty seven to twenty eight thousand dollars. Yeah, I think it's kind of low, actually, considering it's seven pages and how important it is. Yeah, but they've got really good scans of the original artwork. And oh, uh, wow. so you can actually see how they did the infinity cover or the infinity page is that he actually drew the page, did some sort of copy and then shrunk it down, cut it out, pasted it in there. Maybe he even altered it somehow. Um, and then you can see that the cover in the cover he drew. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really neat. Um, it's free to join Heritage Auctions, and they, they auction some interesting stuff, and they take, like, really nice pictures. It's really cool to see a lot of the original yeah. art on there. You can also see, like, he used some sort of paper that had the uh, the hatching, so it has hatching going both ways. Yeah. And sometimes he crosses them over, all the grays. That doesn't show up, like, all, barely at all in, in even the DC print, which is probably, a, like, a cleaner copy than the original Mad would have been, which would be kind of crude with their printing process. Yeah. Anyway, I thought you'd be interested in how that was done. Because I don't know if we brought that up. You collect Infinity covers, right? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Covers that the cover actually exists on the cover in some way. So this is like a, a nice carryover of that. I was curious about how they did that third version. I mean, like, I can always get an idea of how you do that in modern times and even yeah. like in the 90s before maybe everything was computerized. But I was curious how they did it twice in this one yeah well it's by hand the second time it's so small you can't see it but in in the printing you can't even tell like it doesn't have that level of detail yeah so the sadistic sergeant guillotine who is the toughest bastard in the whole french military he's beating his chest and saying do you want to read it okay but real quick it just because i don't want you to be humiliated with a department of corrections next week it's not the french military it's the french foreign legion it's a different thing it's not that's not the considered French, part of the overall french military well broadly speaking it's a separate i just want to it's like the a-team they separate they, they exist separate from the government dude i think it's like it's very separate from like the french army i think it's got to be some sort of branch they they're taking their marching orders from the french government um that is true you know charles de gaulle is like you know um Anyway, okay, well, technically, and I feel it like it's, core... it's it's more than like if you were occupying a country, how you might create like an army of locals who are sympathetic to you. You know, I don't want to. Yeah, you know, a lot of like Eastern European countries with the Nazis. You know, it's like they all had like little kind of micro SS groups. My country yeah. like recently gave a standing ovation to a member of one. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think I think it's even more integrated than that, though, because it's not like the French Foreign Legion is local to anywhere. Right. Like well, they it move was around. it was local to Algiers. That's where they were uh, set that, up. But I mean, that was like they their whole base. Um, they did. OK, I was wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is technically a branch of the French army, but 
it is, I'm pretty sure, fairly separate from it. Well, being technically correct is the best kind of correct. You are technically correct. The best kind of correct. So, yeah, as we've learned <laughs> from <take> Futurama. <laughs> All right. So he says, Messer France, that was a stimulating walk through the desert. Ne pas. But what is a little 40 mile hike? Double time to the men of the Legion, eh, Miami? It is <laughs> the way it's written made it so fucking impossible to read. But that is a lot of the humor in this, is all the different accents. And you got to think, this is written in New York. A huge percentage of your audience for this is going to be people who live in cities and encounter yeah. like huge immigrant populations. And so it's like all of these hilariously racist accents are going to be relevant to them because <laughs> they hear them. And he's like beating his chest. Um, he's got a scar on his face. Uh, and everyone's all tired out. There's even a guy like falling out of the front panel there at yeah. the bottom. Uh, but they all snap to attention when he calls attention. And uh, then he's got to inspect the troops. <laughs> this is where, I mean, the writing is so funny because uh, he's going through. It's like this 40-mile hike through the desert. And the first guy he in space is like, give me your rifle. There's sand on your rifle. A speck <laughs> of sand. <laughs> There's a speck of sand. He breaks the rifle over the guy's head. Well, he doesn't but, um, break the rifle. If you're really looking close, he compresses the guy's head down into his rib cage. <laughs> <laughs> like, like something Popeye would do to you. <laughs> I did not notice that. That's awesome. Um, I thought it was breaking too. I was just looking at it now. Yeah. And the next guy, uh, Cam and Bert, which uh, these no, are no, all no, cheeses, I think. And that's what I was going to say. All, <laughs> the first guy's name is Rocafor or Rocha, Rocafort. I don't know. Rockfort. That was yeah. also a cartoon mouse. Maybe it's Rockfort. Rockfort. That's not how a Frenchman would Rockford. say it. Rockfort. No, files. they're like, oh, Rockfort. Yeah. I learned that in Canadian public school system <laughs> where we have to take French for 10 years and nobody learns even a word of it. <laughs> That's awesome. It's pathetic. So the next guy, Camembert, there's a sweat dripping from his nose. <laughs> And so he just like punches him in the face, like a big splat, his hands out of frame. Uh, he really follows through on that punch. And then the last guy, Chantilly, your tongue is hanging out. And he's like, but Sergeant, I am thirsty. And this guy, he like snaps him over his leg and then hurls him like a boomerang over the wall of the fort. He's off in the distance. <laughs> Still in that back-breaking posture. Yeah, he did like a whole Bane, Batman, Nightfall back snap thing. Pretty hardcore. Yeah, oh yeah. And, you know, I think Severin conveys it in a pretty funny way. The way the guy's bent over at like a 90 degree angle. I kind of feel like Severin, he's kind of like the straight man of the group almost. Yeah. But he's like not necessary. <laughs> he's easily <laughs> replaced, I guess. But I think he's still funny. I think that that's a funny scene with him, like, snapping him in half and then throwing him. So, anyway, he says, you can call yourself soldats. I call you cochon, pigs, enfin, or enfant, enfant, enfin. I don't know. One of those. I'll figure out which one and I'll cut it in. Enfin. You may go now. Dismissed. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I have a hard time figuring out what is actual French and what is written American uh, you know, Koshaw yeah. means pig, and then he says pig. 
I think enfant. I think he means finished. Enfin. Yeah. He doesn't mean like like infants. That's e, like children. En. That's enfant. That's e n f a n t. He means like finished. Yeah. So anyway, uh, soldat Melvin kind of curses him, but the other troops are like, no, no, no. He's tough, but he's got to be. You know, we're the left forgotten men of the world. La Legion does not ask who you are or what you have done, uh, which is what TV Tropes calls the Legion of Lost Souls. Yeah. That's what comes up if you look up French Foreign Legion. Uh, and so we get introduced to a killer's row of soldats, all of whom sport facial scars. Every single person in this has a facial scar. Pretty much. It's hard to tell on the Rasputin-looking motherfucker, but yeah. uh, I think it's implied. Yeah, who's this guy? He says... Oh, 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 what else? I left Paris because a jealous husband wanted my life. <laughs> and the next guy, he's uh, English. What's he say? A couple of chaps want to see me. Scotland Yard, you know, about murder or something. Had to leave London. So the first one's Gossini. Then that's Frothing Bash. And then we got Pasta Fazoo. <laughs> Can you guess where he's from? <laughs> I was shaking down a la east side Siciliano pizza pie joints till I gave a carabinieri de stilet. <laughs> <laughs> so he like, he murdered the wrong made man or whatever. Yeah. Well, I was trying to do some there... petty crimes. <laughs> like you were saying, like a little, a bunch of little kids sitting around in New York being like, ah. The WAPs do talk like that, don't they? <laughs> well, there's there's a good, really good one later that I, I want to bring up when we get to it. Uh, so the next guy, this is Hassenpfeffer. What is your story? Act. Just because I ordered my regiment to march over a cliff und de vent. Der Kaiser has kicked me out of Berlin. <laughs> Merci. And what about you, Rasputin? In Moscow, we with mine bare hands I killed ten Cossacks for a cheating in a game of Russian roulette. That was more French. I don't know how to do Russian. That's pretty good. Thank you. You're pretty good at like being racist against different kinds of white people. <laughs> Dude, you can't stop me. All right. That's a great no, thing good. about you're it. Good. You didn't do any warm-ups or anything, you know? You're a regular Mel Blanc over here. Son of a bitch, son of a bitch, son of a bitch, gun. <laughs> you thought I was going to say son of a bitch, didn't you? <laughs> Boku, and what of you, Melvin? And he just says, I'm trying to get away from my wife and kids in Brooklyn. <laughs> and they all laugh at him, and he's like, you should see my wife. You should see my kids. And they're like, ah, they can't get you out here. And he's like... No, you don't understand. Rosie, she's coming for me. And all the while, there's this little guy saying, Hey, fellas. Hey, fellas, listen. Hey, listen, fellas. And then the fellas decide to listen. And it turns out the uh, Sheik of Arabia is attacking the fort. And they all hide under yeah. the bed. You know, Guillotine. What is his name? Captain Guillotine? Sergeant, Sergeant Guillotine. Sergeant Guillotine. He was not pleased about this kicks them out to literally go hold down the fort. And I mean, he kicks them out. They're like, he like gives them the bum rush. There's like a big boot sticking out the way. Like he's kick, literally kicking them in the ass and they're flying through the air onto their stupid faces. There's this cool panel where it shows 
people at first glance you think it's like the motion of like one person being kicked out but when you look at the illustration it's actually three different people having been <laughs> kicked out just in different yeah. states of light and there's uh this is pretty good because he's got all the signatures on the wall as like chicken fat like it's graffiti oh cool of all the mad guys you're gonna get kind of the least uh chicken fat from severin yeah sometimes uh you you don't get it from kurtzman if he's left to his own devices but like if you get someone else to draw it then there's a lot of chicken fat in it usually anyway so the next i like this next uh line of dialogue from the uh from sergeant guillotine you want to read that since you're so good at the aforementioned racism against different types of white people thank you soldats the sheik of Arabi has not been around for long, but oh, my soldats, from what I have heard, quell horror. Quel horror. Hell, quell horror. Quel horror. In my head, it Quel. sounded like I could say it. Then when I try to say it, I'm like, ah, I can't actually horror. I can't recreate horror. that. Horror. Horror. Quel horror. This is the one I like, though. He's like, I gavalt. <laughs> it's like he's just I, I will, throwing in some some sort of like uh, Yiddish kind of sounding slang in there. I will not be doing that one. <laughs> that one you won't do. <laughs> That's the line. That's the line That's in the line. sand of white people that you will not be racist against. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but do not worry. We shall hold out till relief comes. Well, and then we get this awesome series. It's sort of like the inverse of the inspection, right? Where it's uh... I feel like this comic has really good balance, you know? You have the introduction, and then it's like you have a list. A page of, like, the same joke sort of building. Yeah. You have a similar thing with, like, the characters. And then, you know, you have it almost sideways in the next panel. And then now we're on, like, the downswing. And so you get the same joke again. Yeah, yeah. It's different jokes, but it's the same structure. Yeah, which is these individual soldiers coming up to the sergeant with varying degrees of wound. I guess all mortal of them. Wounds. Mortal wounds. <laughs> mortal. <laughs> yeah, just one degree of wound, which is life-threatening. As the first guy, he goes, I received a dum-dum bullet in the chest. May I rest? Which way did he go? I don't know, but he went that way. Let's go. Dum dums. Come on. Yeah. I mean, that would kill you down. alone. That's like probably. It's like an expanding yeah. bullet. He's probably dead. <laughs> but no. Coward. Coward. Have you no courage? Back to the wall. We oui, sergeant. The next guy shows up with a scimitar in the back. That hurts when I laugh. May I retire? Desert there. I love Sergeant Guillotine in profile. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's like such a tough bastard. <laughs> you know, he punches him in the face. Desert there. It is only a scratch. Back to your post. Sergeant, I have a bullet hole between mine eyes. May I seek Le First Aid Kit? <laughs> Slack air. It is a superficial wound. Back to the fight. <laughs> So then this is sort of a big plot point, I think, in the movies. I think this is probably the big climax in these movies. Yeah. They're defending the wall. They're losing men. They've got to run from parapet to parapet, launching different cannons to make it look like there's still several of them alive. 
Uh, yeah. And they're even like propping up dead bodies to make it look like it's there's people still alive. And even though I haven't seen this movie, it's like I know that about all of these movies. That's a big scene. Yeah. Bo Jester, whatever it is. Bo Jest. Yeah. A Bo Jester is like a beautiful clown. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. So they're, they're scampering around. And uh, finally, we get the Sheik of Araby. Right before we see that, there's only Sergeant and Melvin left. And he's yes. like kissing him and he's like, the Sheik of Arabia has withdrawn. And he's like, Sergeant, look. And then he points and then we get Mondu. And how would you describe them? As a matronly figure and uh, two toddlers and a uh, young child brandishing the, weapons. Yeah, they have bigger weapons the smaller they are. <laughs> like the baby has like a six foot <laughs> rifle. Um, I didn't put and that then, together, yeah. Yeah, and the Sheik of Araby has a rolling pin in her cummerbund belt sort of thing. There's also some good uh, chicken fat on here where it says, Bo Guest. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> so they start firing at uh, the uh, sergeant. He's like, Sacre bleu! Le Sheik of Araby is le woman. Like, <laughs> but they're just firing at him. He's just walking into the bullets. They're bouncing off of him. He's like, he can't hurt me with bullets. I'm the toughest French bastard there's ever been. Till he gets to the Sheik of Araby and she shouts, keep your hands off me, you big brute. And <clears throat> pins him with the rolling pin with a big bloing. And uh, Melvin shouts, Rosie, and the kids, <laughs> it's you. I knew nothing would stop you, not even the Foreign Legion. Melvin, you worm, you're coming back to Brooklyn. Uh, and so the last two panels, he's running away. So we leave the desolate desert outpost of Wadi El Aker. We leave and travel out, out over the shifting sands. And they're like running out of the fortress. And then it's like they're on the horizon. It's really kind of a beautiful panel with the light blues transitioning into dark and then the yellows into the reds. It is. I was about to say the silhouette. Their silhouettes are really good. You want to read the last narration there? Out over the Sahara, over the bleached bones of men we travel. We keep traveling, my friends, over the horizon to, to Brooklyn. <laughs> Harvey Kurtzman, what a guy. So funny. So you didn't know really the specific movie. Like, had you seen that trailer before? Like, I feel like that elucidated a bit about this movie for you and the name. Like, there's even jokes you couldn't get if you didn't know. You would be like, Bo Guest. Bo Guest what? Yeah, no, I never heard of Bo Guest before. I knew about the French Foreign Legion's reputation and like, not just generally, but like in film and movies and TV. But no, I wasn't familiar with that movie in particular. And what do you think of this parody? I thought it was great. I loved it. Uh, I'm in love with it. Woo! The comic book issues of Mad, those are the ones where it's like, I almost never understand their pop culture references. Hmm. Like once it becomes a magazine and it deals with like a lot more stuff having to do with politics and like, I guess just movies that I'm generally familiar with, I have a much higher batting average. Hmm. Something I like about these old ones is, I mean, I'm also kind of mired in older media, so yeah. like I get a little bit more of the references, but also when I go back and read them, I kind of new things are revealed to me because I learn new things about the past that when I read them again, it's like, then I get jokes that I didn't get before. Yeah. You know, I read them like a religious text almost. Like I love that original Mad. Like I've gone back and read it so many times and I like this comic 
But, you know, Severin's kind of pretty low on the list for me when it comes to my favorite mad original guys. Um, yeah. Like, I love Severin, but he's less, you know, special than like a Kurtzman or an Elder or Wood or Davis. And I don't think he worked as well with Kurtzman. I kind of get that feeling. Yeah. I feel like when I read something that was written by Kurtzman, it's like it's funnier, but none of his comics seem any different from the stuff that he did in Cracked without Kurtzman. Yeah. Whereas with all those other guys, there's something special about the combination of them. And I suspect that's why maybe Severin didn't get as much work in Mad with Kurtzman. Because Kurtzman, I don't think, wanted to work with him. My comment at the start, I mean, it came from, like, didn't Kurtzman describe John Severin as not being a funny cartoonist? That's a rumor. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, I don't know. I think he is, like, he's funny enough. I'll put it yeah. that way. Like, he's not, like, the most comedic, but I also don't think you need to be. I think there's plenty of people, like, I think Joe Orlando, it's, I enjoy reading his comedic stuff, but he's not an especially comedic illustrator. I don't think he's even funnier than Severn. No, but, like, you can see his stuff and, and still be amused and think it's funny in Mad Magazine. That's an apt comparison, I think, in terms of Mad Guys, because they're both, like, very clear, clean you know, straightforward, whereas everyone else in Mad brings a sort of wackiness that they don't yeah. quite have. But that said, Severn was always used well in Mad, I think. You know, he's good at like military comics, westerns, adventure stories, epic stories. Yeah. That's what he's good at. Uh, and he was in all those EC military comics like Two-Fisted Tales, Frontline Combat, that sort of thing. And the only other artist that you'd really want to see do this one maybe would be like a Davis you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's the other guy you would see a lot in those military books for EC. Yeah. I think Davis is even better than Severn at Westerns, though. And I think in the same book, he does Lone Stranger. So it's like he's already doing a Western. So I think it's a situation where, like, if Davis did Sheik of Araby, there's an exclamation mark, then Severn would have done the Lone Stranger. And I think that would have been unfortunate. Yeah. Anyway, I do love it, though, and I love everything in Tales Calculated to Drive You Mad. It's quite literally the best comics ever, I think. We should send them to space so that, like, when the sun goes supernova, future generations can access this high watermark for, like, cultural output. <laughs> All right. Well. Dismissed. I'm the sheep of Arobi. All right, welcome now to the begging and groveling department. That's right. Uh, this is where we uh, get down on our knees and we beg and we grovel. Uh, and that's because we want something from you. But we want it bad. Yeah, oh yeah. We want you to tell your friends, tell your family. You know, maybe you don't have any friends or family. Maybe you're a lonely, lost soul 
fleeing your wretched, unspeakable past? You can tell your fellow legionnaires about Potter Zebe, and they can listen to it on those 40-mile hikes through the barren, waterless Algerian desert. And they can give Sank et toi on their favorite foreign national podcast app. Wee <laughs> wee. Oui, oui. I do need to wee wee, so we should get moving. Uh, you can send us letters. <laughs> yes, you can. Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, make sure the subject line says idiot mail. And please include in your greeting, hey, idiots, hello, idiots, hello, um, dum-dums. Idiots. Les idiots. Les idiots. Les idiots. Yeah, I, you just said it. Don't be like, oh, idiots. Oh. <laughs> Kyle will read that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or he won't be able to read that. Yeah. But if you're like, Mamma Mia, idiots. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we could put a little bit of like, you know, accordion music behind it there, you know, kind of give it a nice kind of <laughs> pizzeria yeah. feel. Yeah. And then, uh, Kyle, where should people go if they want less of me and more of you? Well, you could travel to Algeria and join the French Foreign Legion <laughs> and only watch my solo YouTube channel which is at Little Cozy Nostril, uh, where I do a show called Canonically Crumb, which explores the comics and characters of our Crumb's Crummyverse. You can find me on my website at kylebridge.com, where you can hire me to draw you a picture or to teach you how to draw a picture or to, I don't know, do whatever mercenary projects you have in mind. Or you can buy a t-shirt from me from TeePublic, the official Potter ZB t-shirt available now link in the show description what about you patrick you can go to youtube.com slash at flipping through every saturday i release a video a review of a mad issue we just flip on through it i commentate people leave comments it's great and every other sunday i do a live stream and uh by the time this comes out kyle you were on the live just stream. passed yeah. yeah yeah did you enjoy it uh i'm gonna tentatively say no uh, <laughs> but you know hopefully past me will say yes yeah all right well we'll keep everybody posted there you go there was some shocking reveals i'll say that much <laughs> oh my goodness we'll be back in two weeks with more potter zb podcast hey thanks so much for listening by the way how's your mom I don't know. I can't say it. I can yeah. hear it in my head. I can't say it. Quel horror. Horror. Terror. <laughs>